the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. Welcome to part two of our look into James Klansnick with Nicholas Broughton, a.k.a. Nikki B. Let's jump right into it, ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Nikki B. Well, let's let's go ahead and get started. Why don't we start with, uh, do you think the drop zone is accurate? I do believe the drop zone is accurate, Darren. Um, the, the placard, the placard doesn't lie. Um, it was... It was found. It was found just uh, right around where Cooper was uh, believed to have jumped. Um, man, I forgot. Yeah, I think the placard was found just outside Tootle. Just outside Tootle, which is which is which, which is, is right in that. It's like twenty miles north of the supposed drop zone, aerial Amboy. Exactly. So that puts it on. That puts it on Victor Twenty Three, man. Um, to think that. To think that um, the pilot veered off a little bit and came back on, veered off a little bit, came back on. I mean, that that's a stretch. I mean, um, Radichek, he really wanted – I think Radichek really wanted to go off of Victor 23 and do kind of his own thing. But Northwest Orient, they were running the show. Let's face it. They were running the show. They were calling the shots. That's who he, that's who he has to answer to, right? He's got to – He's got his job to protect, right? They, Northwest Orient, their main objective was not let anything happen to the plane. We want this thing to be operation tomorrow. There's plenty of evidence that points towards that when you look through the FBI files. Um, interviews as well. Uh, interview I mentioned before uh, with, with one of the guys that was there. Uh, the FBI, they were in there gung-ho. They want – when Cooper – I guess Cooper was in the um, – he said Cooper was in the laboratory there um, when they were refueling for about 45 minutes. That's what he said. Um, and the FBI, they got they got word that he was in there, and they wanted to come – they wanted to come right in and just shoot right under the laboratory. Uh, but um, Northwest Orient's Northwest Orient's top guy said, "No, we're not. You're not blowing any holes in my plane." They're they were pretty. They made that pretty clear. We just want we just will comply, and we're, we'll we just want. To, yeah, they're already paying the ransom. Exactly, they're already paying the ransom, Darren. So if that would have, if you believe that um, Ratachak went off course, that's. It just doesn't make sense. He he's a Northwest Orient guy. He wouldn't have risked his job. I mean, he he already he, he took already took a few. He already he already did a few things that that showed um 
pretty much pretty much his character. I mean, they said you guys can get off, but he didn't want to leave Tina on the plane. So why would he risk? Why would he risk if he already was going to um, get a chance to get off? Why why would he even why would he even why would he even risk going off going off course if he knew possibly DB Cooper if he starts going off course DB Cooper would would realize that looking down because he already showed great familiarity with the area right Darren yeah so if the drop zones if if the drop zones accurate though what did what Klansnick do once he hit the ground. So Klesnik had a lot of great options, believe it or not. Um, I mentioned um, I mentioned earlier, I believe that um, they used Klesnik's um, com- uh, Klesnik's brother's company helicopter to actually search for him here, which was uh, which Weyerhaeuser. So Klesnik's uh, Klesnik's brother uh, worked ma- uh, was a maintenance for Weyerhaeuser Company, which they owned land all over that Merwin Dam area where DB Cooper jumped. So he knew the area well from his brother. His brother knew the area well. He had plenty of land that uh, warehouse or land he could have jumped on. That no problem. Um, he had he he had he had two kids at the time that were uh, that were in college and working in the battleground Amboy that area. And if you there was an old History Channel docu I believe that mentioned that mentioned this, and I think this is another. So this is another piece to the puzzle here that shows D.B. Cooper was local to the area. He was entrenched there in the community, which which was um, at the town of the center, was in Washington, um, which was right there in that which was right there in that area. And there was actually reports, a couple of reports of some flying planes in that last couple of weeks taking off from a landing strip. Um, and there was there was another there's another report that I can't recall, but there was a couple of uh, hot reports in that area. I was looking back, looking back at old stuff back in the back in the 70s news articles and all that stuff. And in that town of the center that night, the music teacher, the local music teacher, he uh, he was getting married, and everybody in the town of the center was at the church that night. So the whole town was a ghost town. So you want to talk about a perfect, a perfect place to get picked up from a Cessna little airplane, and then vamos. What would you think, Darren? Yeah, I wonder if he knew that there was going to be a wedding going on. That's he. He knew it. He knew it. And come on, he knew it. That's that's why that's why he picked the area. He had the lights of Merwin Dam. He had his he had his brother's land there. He had La Center right there, which is which is a ghost town. That night, it all it all kind of adds up there. Um, so as far as the flight path, Darren, um, I believe I believe Radichak probably wanted to go off and don't go off in the ocean and do that. But at the end of the day, he had to comply with Northwest Orient. What his boss told him, right? Got to answer the boss. You still you got to keep your job. So I believe he stayed on Victor Twenty Three. Um, we we got we got actually a piece of physical evidence on Victor Twenty Three. We got the we got the oscillation. I mean it's it's reasonable to assume, Darren. It's it's reasonable to assume Victor it was Victor Twenty Three, man. That makes sense. And 
Yeah, and Cooper knew they were going to fly Vicar 2039. He already knew. So then once he gets home with $200,000, what's he do with the money? I don't think it was about the money, Darren. It wasn't about the money. Um, If you look at certain things, uh, D.B. Cooper... Paid, he Cooper Cooper was flush Cooper was already fl- already flush walking into PDX right. He pays twenty he pays twenty dollars for his plane ticket. He's trying to tip he's trying to tip for drinks. Tina asked Tina jokingly asked for fifty eight hundred fifty eight hundred dollar. Uh, t- uh, uh, Tina jokingly asked for a couple packets and he offered and he offers her uh, th- offers her three packs, which was also coincidentally found in Tina bar. But we can get into that later if you want. Um, so, I mean, if someone was really, a, if, if it was really about the money, I mean, would someone like someone risking that, would they just, yeah, here you go, Tina. When she asked for $5,800, here you go. No problem. I'm just, I'm just risking everything for the, for this 200 K, but here, I'll just give you $5,800. No problem. Sounds like a generous. And then when he tips, when he tips on the, uh, you know, he's tip, he's tipping on the drink, he's offering to tip on the drink. I mean, he just sounds like a very generous guy. Like, he doesn't care. He, money ain't, he doesn't care about the money. It is interesting that he's risking his life to do this for money, presumably, but he's willing to give right. some of it to a stewardess. No, right away, without even, here you go. He just, here, Tina said, you go. He's, yeah. Here you go. Because it wasn't, it wasn't about the money. It was about, it was about other things. It was about there, and you know that's where he kind of got to go in the speculation station, as I like to call it. But I believe the evidence points to it wasn't it wasn't about the money, and the money wasn't ever found in circulation. Although you can you can argue that the way they were checking bills back in the day, it might have gone undetected. And I I can't find anything to uh, to disagree with that. But I I believe the evidence points to it wasn't about the money. It was there was ulterior motives there. It was it was a grudge. Um, and it could have, I think, I think it was, it's, it's, it was the grudge. It was the grudge going back, going back to the, to the aerospace industry. Uh, and I believe that's where it uh, all ties in. Um, we, t- we kind of left off on part one, Darren, ta- uh, talking about the Dan Cooper comic. He, he was, he was big, he was, uh, big in the aerospace industry. He was like a test pilot for a bunch of futuristic mm-hmm. aerospace stuff in the, com- in the comic book. And then when you look when you look at that all of all of the original uh, SS uh, SST engineers that worked on the the probably the first SST project there ever was supersonic travel back uh, back in the uh, mid fifties in Canada so that that ties in that ties in with the comic all those guys came all those guys came over to the United States they were all working in aerospace. All those you got all a bunch of guys that were familiar with the familiar with the Dan Cooper comic could have been easily familiar with the Dan Cooper comic, easily, and like like we said, it wasn't a coincidence uh, he picked that name Dan Cooper. There's so many male names like you mentioned before, Darren. Why why Dan Cooper? It was a tell. It was a tell, and Cooper, as hard as this case is to figure out, because there's so much misinformation, there are tells here. And if you look at the tales, they'll tell you the story. That's what I believe 
this case is all about here. Look at the tales and they'll tell you the story of who D.B. Cooper really was. And I believe D.B. Cooper, he left some he left some clues there. I don't know if it was on purpose, but he wanted somebody to figure it out. Somebody like me to figure it out, to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's what I believe I've done here, Gary. So if you want to, if you want to go over a cup, if you want to go over a couple of tells here, uh, I'd love to do that. The t the tells here, uh, I believe there's two big tells. Um, one was left on the seat, which we uh, got into pretty good detail on earlier, which was the tie and the particles found on the tie that told the story, and that was a big tell right there. And then the second tell. Is language the words used I mean, that tells another story as to who D.B. Cooper actually was um, we kind of brushed on in a little bit there in part one when we talked about the knapsack and plants that kept the back the background of mountaineers like the exact term uh, a couple other a couple other things which I feel strongly points to World War II. The age points to WW2. Um, first report mentioned it, part one, 50 years old to the FBI. Someone that served in World War II, be right around 50 years old at the time. And how old was Klansnick at the time? 50 years or 51. So right, right there right there in the money spot and then from there's there's a lot of terms you're, we've been able to little good nuggets we've been able terms specific terms from the fbi files one benzedrine i talked about the knapsack that was one benzedrine is another is another tell as far as what the language goes so benzedrine um also referred to as bennies so the term, so the term ben, uh, Benny's, uh, also uh, the term Benny's, short for ben, Benzedrine, and in the FBI files, um, Cooper uh, is uh, mentioned um, to have told Tina that he had some Benny's uh, if if the crew or the pilots needed to stay awake. Benzedrine was used extensively in World War II to keep pilots awake on their missions. Yeah, long flight hours. Was it available commercially or anything? It's 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 basically it's basically like it's basically an old form of speed um, from what I've been able what I've been able to gather. Uh, but no one in 1972, no one was calling them. The dreams fell out of favor. Um, it, it was mainly popular back in World War II. Um, by the 70s, people weren't taking them anymore. There was other forms of, of speed that were more that were more prominent at the time. No one would be no one would be saying no one would be saying Benny's. Or benzidine, that's it's an old school, it's an old school medication. Uh, that's prominent actually in World War II, just by fire pilots, incidentally enough. Jay Clemson was a fire pilot in World War II. An another thing, well, a couple a couple other things, a couple of things actually here, Darren. Tim said Klansnick, when he gave Klansnick the, uh, he asked Klansnick if he wanted the instructions to put on the parachutes. He said no, he, he was fine. Um, and according to uh, according to the reports, um, Cooper got NV uh, NV eight or NV six, 
I get them, I get them all mixed up. But they're military pilot shoots. All right, if you do that report about him getting them. Yeah, and I've seen so many conflicting reports on the parachutes that I don't even know anymore. I know it, it's crazy, but let's just say he let's just say that he didn't get military, he didn't get military pilot shoots. Well, he definitely wouldn't need the instructions, and as Tina described, he put effortlessly, no problem. So that's another good little good little tell you have there. Um, yeah, which which I kind of, which I kind of found which I kind of found interesting. Just so he mean he did put the parachutes on effortlessly and easily, um, and in see that DB Cooper had recreational recreational skydiving experience. I mean the FBI looked into that extensively. They were I mean I infiltrated um, I infiltrated. Uh, skydiving old school skydivers Facebook page with all the old with all the old school skydivers in there, and they told stories all day about the FBI showing up at different drop zones, um, at that different you know, recreational skydiver. They looked to that avenue extensively, extensively, and they, yeah, there wasn't that many people doing it then. Exactly, and they 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 came, they came up with nothing there. Last tell, Darren. I talked. I, uh, I I talked to you about this earlier, actually, before we got on the podcast. I wanted to share it with you. I just actually kind of uh, came up on this today. Um, but another thing that was discovered in the FBI files was Cooper used the term intercom. Um, actually, Cooper used the term interphone versus the term intercom, which was prominent at that time. Now the term intercom. Or inter, I'm sorry, the term interphone. The term interphone is old is an old school term that was used on old that was used on older older aircraft. Uh, back uh, in 1972, they were calling everything intercoms on on commercial airplanes. It's previous experience, like like with the knapsack and a couple other things I mentioned. So Klansnick's B-17 bomber in World War II. Guess what that had on it, Darren? An interphone. Bingo. <laughs> you got it. Oh, good old interphone. So, again, that points to war. That points to World War Two. Points. It points at Klansnik. And I believe if you found the real DB Cooper, there will be nothing. That point that that goes against the that goes against the suspect. So all these guys championing their suspects, if they have the real DB, there will be nothing that goes against it. Every box checks, everything lines up. Wouldn't you agree, Darren? It sounds pretty good. There isn't anything I can think of to argue reason it wouldn't mm-hmm. be him. And just for fun, because we're in the um, we're March March Madness. I don't know if you're a college basketball fan, but I took all of the suspects, right? And I did I did my own I did my own my own tournament. So I I put them all I put them all in there. All of, all of the all of the good known all the main suspects. Put them I put them all in there. Gave them even, gave them even seeds to the strength. Of course, my clients like guys are number one seed. Um, but there's there's a couple other guys there that you know pretty pretty strong. Uh, Flyjack's got a guy by the name of uh, uh, Hangman Hanneman. 
Yeah, Hanneman, I believe. Who who's got the who, you know who who fits who fits the physical description and he he, he hijacked he hijacked a plane as uh, as well. Like caught for it, but there's actually there's actually some 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 good stuff there uh, with Hanneman and uh, one of the the uh, believe it or not the uh, the Gossett brothers, Galen Cook. That's uh, he's a big proponent of. Uh, of of Gossett as well as um, paranormal guy, you know his name, Clyde Lewis. Clyde, old Clyde, yeah. So, but uh, but Gossett, he he actually had a, a couple brothers that also also have interesting backgrounds. So I, I like group the whole Gossett brother. I group all the Gossett the Gossett brothers because it could um it it, it could have been any one of those guys um because they had a they had a bunch of uh. A good, good, strong connections when I was looking at them. So them and him and Hanneman pretty much made it. Um, I gave, I gave Hanneman, I gave Hanneman the uh, the edge, barely over the Gossett brothers, but it was it was close. But at the at the end of the day, Klansnick prevailed. Um, although there's all the other suspects, unfortunately, there's just stuff you stuff that goes against. Uh, Klansnick prevailed just for the simple fact that you you got. You got nothing that goes against it. Um, you, you got some speculative stuff that you can say. Well, Klansnick was pillar in the community. He's a family man. Why would he risk it all? And where where was he? Where was he? Um, you know that where was he at night? Even Thanksgiving 19, 1971. Now I don't ha- I don't have all the answers, but I got a I got a hell of a lot of arrows pointing in a certain direction. And I just don't, I just don't believe that's that's a coincidence. Well, you said he, he didn't do it for the money, but there was money. What do you think he did with it? I believe he buried the money. Probably, I, I think if I had a get, I had a guess. I think the money's probably buried on his, probably buried in uh at his his cabin. On on Woodby Island, um, there there's a couple of, there's a couple of things that kind of uh, need to believe that uh, we spoke on Clansnick's extensive uh, obituary that was that was that was removed. Yeah, I actually found it the other day. Um, well, there's it's not as an, it's not as, as an extensive one. It was just a writ- so there was two obituaries. There's one that was just written by the Se- that was came out in the Seattle Times, and it's on the ancestry. And before that, there was actually another one, and I can send you screenshots. I don't know if I've done for with the purple background, and it had the the one um, the one that's um, the one that's online currently just has like one picture of him, right? And then the tombstone. Yeah, and uh, maybe six or eight paragraphs about him. Exactly. So this one had a lot more information, and it had way more pictures. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's the one that was taken down. But in there, in there, there was two. Well, the reason I believe it was taken down because there's a couple tells in there, kind of going back to what we were talking about before. And in there, he mentions his getting shot down over Austria, and he he uh, mentions that, and he says it was his one and only parachute ride. One and only. Now, 
why would he make it a point to say one and only parachute ride? <laughs> All right, this seems a little yeah, seems a little, seems a little odd to me. I, I don't know. I just didn't. I I I didn't I didn't get that. Well, it didn't make sense to me. Why, why would he? Why would he make it a point? He's so specific on one and only parachute ride. And then he goes on a joke about when he got shot down, he had to hide in the he had to hide in in a cabin, um, trying to evade German forces. He had to hide in a cabin, and he joked when he actually went back there in 1980, the same year the money was found on Tina Bar. Believe it or not, actually. It's kind of another little weird coincidence there. But he joked when he was talking about his family trip back there. When he went there, he joked, hey, I wonder if I can still find my old wallet in that cab. Oh, you think that's a joke about a chest of money in the backyard? Exactly. It's a tell. Just just in, in that obituary, he left a, was leaving a couple of hints. Also, the very first... I think this one's in the this one's actually in the the one that's still online. Let's raise a martini glass, one olive to the life of James Edward Klansnick. Martini glass, one olive. Who's uh who's famous who's known for that for that martini, Darren? James Bond. James Bond, baby. James Bond. And I was actually able to find out through some of my sleuthing abilities. That James Klansnick was actually referred to as Agent Orange uh, back in his days in Boeing from his from his coworkers. He called him Agent Orange. So kind of going back to for the, the Dan Cooper and the Canadian in the Canadian stuff, and this goes to kind of my my theory my theory of motive. I believe it was a couple different things, and it all just kind of the perfect storm, just kind of. Just kind of arose for plans to do this, but it wasn't. It wasn't about the money. And all the all the guys that knew the, knew about the Dan Cooper comic, working right around Klansnick, they were calling him Agent Orange. They probably shared stories. I'm sure all the Boeing guys were close. I've talked to a lot of Boeing employees. They're all pretty tiny community. They go on trips together, pick company picnics, all of that. And so we knew each other. They were like, they were, a lot of those guys became close friends. Their wives would hang out with each other. Etc. Etc. But it's my theory. One of those Canadian guys saw Klansnick. He heard a story. He was a shot down fighter pilot in World War II, just living the life of living the life of the Dan Cooper company. And these guys, I'm sure, said, "Hey, you're Dan. You're you're just like you're just like the Dan Cooper guy I read about in the comics. You're Dan Cooper." And that's where I believe Klansnick learned. He learned about the comic. Uh, his best friend has Canadian ties as well, so there's there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways. Once the SSD got canceled, and the, the lights were pretty much it was doing doom and gloom in, in Seattle, man. And there was no job security for anyone at that point. I think, man. Well, it helps if you have two hundred thousand dollars buried in your backyard. Exactly. But Klansnick, Klansnick had money. He had a well he had a well paying job with Boeing. 50 years old, a little bit of little bit of, mid, little bit of midnight crisis, possibly. Just some, just some, just something to get his eyes out. His, his, all of his, all of his, all of his work on the SST, down the drain, 
all of his co-workers, all their work down the drain. And Klansik might have had ties with the CIA as well. Um, Why do you say that? Uh, because when you get like a couple of the couple of the projects like Air America and um, Air, Amer- Air America and uh, the other one, um, the other one before Air America, the the, the trans Asian or whatever, um, they they hired they hired a lot of Boeing people. They hired they hired a lot of Boeing people. They actually just put they actually just put uh, they put just ads up in, in the newspaper out from, from a couple of things that, from a couple of things that I read of, of people that worked on Air America. He's like, yeah, I just answered it. I just answered an ad in the, in the newspaper. Um, so there was a lot of people that weren't actually CIA, like they weren't, they were just subcontractors for the C, for the CIA. And I believe Clinton could have been easily been one of those guys. Uh, he would have been motivated um, to participate in it because Air America, the main thing they did, uh, guess what, Darren? What? I don't. I'm not familiar with the Air America story. So their main their main thing was rescue was going into Vietnam and rescuing shot down fighter pilots, and that was contracted by the CIA. That was contracted by the CIA. Yes, Air America was contracted by the CIA. Most of the people that worked for Air America weren't actually official CIA people. They were just people with the skills at World War II people that that they got that or that was that 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 needed um, that needed some extra cash. And they just subcontracted on them. So I believe if Tanzik saw saw one of the saw one of the wanted ads, yeah, can work for Air America, make some extra money, rescue shot down fighter pilots, would have been would have been right up Klansnik's alley. Right, he was a shot down fighter pilot. Don't you think you would want someone to rescue him? <laughs> That's a good point. Here, here's my kind of thinking on this. I think Klansnik kind of drummed this up with his aerospace guys. After SS after SST got canceled, and they kind of dropped this up. After they were talking, thanks and confirmed. We should do we should do this. We should we should give the U.S. government a big fuck you. And I'm sure a couple of these guys had CIA ties. You probably could see it. CIA. Hey, look, this is what we got planned. This is what we're gonna do. We're giving you guys the heads up. Um, they probably picked no clans, Nick. No one smarts. He probably pitched it to him. Hey, this is mutually beneficial. For the both of us. If you look what happened after with airline security and all of that, um, and how it kind of led the way from 9-11 too as a whole thing. But if what it what it did with airline security and all of that, it was helping them in that aspect, and then it was helping Klansnik and his aerospace buddies to give the government a fuck you for messing for for messing with them. Oh yeah, and it totally changed airline travel after that. It totally changed it. So the so I believe they pitch it to the CIA. Look, we're gonna do this thing. Just make sure, uh, you know, make sure, make make sure you got our back. And that's that's why that's why Klansnik was cool to risk it. That he knew he knew he he knew the CIA he knew the CIA had his back on this. So he he had he had nothing he had nothing to worry about. That's a theory that I, I've talked to Bruce Smith about. That there's somehow like a puppet master in all this is the reason it won't ever be solved. Like it wasn't some lone guy. It was 
orchestrated by the government or they knew about it right. on some level. Right. And book, uh, Bruce went on, uh, Bruce mentioned in his interview with you, um, like that, the story about that one guy that got let out of jail, you know, they gave him, they gave him that furlough or whatever. And they told him to go wait. Right. And maybe, maybe Walter, maybe Walter Recca, maybe he wasn't, maybe they had a bunch of guys to try to, to try to assist in this. We were doing it. And then the CIO, okay, you're going to do it, but we're going to make sure, Nothing goes wrong here because we don't want it falling back on us. So that's why they go get that guy out of jail in case in case he drop in case the drop he doesn't drop exactly in that right place. They're gonna have guys in other little places around, right? In case maybe they had Walter Recca and Cleelum in case it really went to wacko, you know? Who know who who knows? But I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy there's a lot of information there that that points to that that points to the. CIA, CIA was involved in this thing. Um, I w- um, I was actually listening to a recent interview with uh, with with Marla. I know we talked about her a little bit too much in in, the, in part one, but uh, she just recently did a podcast, and she brought up something that was very interesting. She said, "Why on the night before Thanksgiving, where everyone's traveling to get, you know, to get home, to get see their families. Why was there only 38, I think she said, only 38 passengers, uh, 38 uh, passengers on that flight? That's a great question. I've wondered that myself. It should be the busiest travel week of the year. Exactly. So why, and th- that plane fits, that plane seats 120 something passengers. And I, there was under 50, I think it was like 38, um, but it was like under 50 for sure. It was definitely it was definitely light, and four of them were government employees. And that's that's documented. And she, she went on to say, I think like three of them were CIA spoofs or something like that. That's I mean, I haven't been able to substantiate be substantiate like that. I don't know where she got that information from, but she had that relationship with Curtis saying so that that I don't know if that I, I think she's she, I think she knows something there. She very well could. I I. I, I really do because she had that close knit relationship with Curtis Aang and the FBI. Um, so I I take that I take that with I take that with a good with a pretty good pretty good value there. Um, it, well, it, what she said about the four the four government employees was true. So she she was right on that. So three, three CIA spoofs. I don't I don't know, but I think I think maybe man. I've heard that before that there's a potential that multiple suspects are involved in this. I don't I don't rule out Rackstraw, my guy, from from being the guy that that flew the Cessna out of Cleveland. You know, they still needed someone to fly the plane. Um, you know, someone had to fly it in because Clansick's a pilot, he can fly it out, but someone had to fly it in. Because it, he wouldn't have, I don't think he wouldn't, I don't think he wouldn't have risked being in that area too long in the wilderness. He already had a plan to get out of there. Out of, out of Clay Ellum? No, out of, he was already out of his deep, he was already, had, he already had a plan in place. Once he, once he landed, an extraction plan already be set up for him. He wasn't just, he wasn't just, he wasn't just going to do this, just going to do this solo. Just on foot, you know, I, I don't think so. It'd be hard to pull it off on your own to land in the woods with nothing. And it's, you know, it's 
1971. You have to find a payphone to talk to someone. Exactly. That's where the, that's where back in the day the old teamwork makes the dream work. So, I believe a plane flew in, picked them up, um, and it, that could have been that could have been Robert Robert Rackstraw could have been could have been recruited for to do that. You know, he could have, he could have been recruited to do that. What do you think about the money at Tina Bar? No one really seems to have any sort of explanation for that. It's either a dredge or it floated or it was planted, but there's really no evidence for any of that. There isn't. It's like a lot of things in Cooperville. It's conflicting. But my best assertion in all of the evidence was that that money didn't didn't drop in the water the night of the hijacking and make its way eventually ten years later down to fucking Tina Bar. That money a few a few years before nineteen eighty four was discovered, I believe, was dropped in the water um, off a bridge. That's that was that was a theory that's been proposed before. Um, that's that's a good one. Um, I I like. I like the uh, um, dropping it off a boat as well, maybe a tugboat, which which um, which Kay had a little theory uh, on that as well. He he backtracked off it, but uh, he had a he had a theory that oh um, maybe the water was travel it was traveling the water for years and then it got um, it got it got uh, under a tugboat and then the propellers shredded it up and that's how it ended up on Tina Bar. Um, but how do you still, how do you explain for the, how do you explain for the rubber bands? How do you explain it being found over the dredge layer? Um, I believe the money was disposed in the water maybe two years, year and a half before the, uh, before 1980. So maybe it's just, it's probably some weird story how it happened. Like someone, maybe someone that helped out, they got the, they got the money. They didn't. They didn't know. They didn't know what they didn't. They didn't know what to do with it because the money they they said on they said in the press that all the serial numbers were recorded. So they might have held on it to some years, and then maybe they got scared. I don't want to keep this evidence on me, and then they just disposed of it. Or it might have been a strategic plant, which I mentioned before. It's, I mean, it's kind of a weird coincidence. The money ends up on Tina Bar. The three packets, which three packets about fifty-eight hundred dollars, which was found on Tina Bar, which Tina jokingly asked DB Cooper, "Hey, can I get some of that money?" And Cooper handed it over three packets of money, and that's exactly what was found on Tina Bar. You know, that's I mean, that's that's going more to speculation stations, I have to call. It. Um, but it's 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 definitely it's definitely interesting. The money was given to Cooper in bank bands. Is that isn't that right? So there's more there's more conflicting evidence on the bank, on whether it was uh, bank notes, or I mean a bank ba- uh, bank bands or like uh, paper paper bands. So there's and there's paper bands around it, and then uh, and then they also thought there was rubber bands around around like. The, uh, over the, the the bundles and there's conflicting uh, there's conflicting information around the pack bundles and packets. If you go on the Cooper if you go on the Cooper forum, you can see Flyjack was arguing all up and down uh, with with Georgia and such. 
So there, there's conflicting, there's conflicting evidence there. But there was rubber, there was rubber bands around, there's rubber bands around the, around the money. That's for sure. And and they broke to the touch, and they ran those, they ran those, those tests on the rubber bands. It wouldn't have, if the, if the money landed in the water that night of the hijacking, there would rubber bands wouldn't have broken to the touch. Rubber bands wouldn't have been there. Period. Period. So this leads me to believe that the money that the money was either held by Cooper and planted or the money was given to an assistant or someone that witnessed something as hush money or something. And then they just didn't know, didn't know what to do with the money. And they just, they buried it, put it away. Because the, the, the bills still showed degrade, like pretty degraded and stuff like that. So I think it was like it was bare, it was buried somewhere and then dug, dug up, th thrown in the water, and then it was ended, and then it ended up on Tina Bar. Because I I think trying to go to Tina Bar and, and bury the money, Devin's point to that, and that that'd be kind of that'd be that that'd be a lot that'd be a lot more increment that'd be a lot more risky than just throwing it in the in the river in a river over a bridge, like right by, you know, it'd be a lot easier to store in the, store in the bridge or hop on a, hop on a, hop on a tugboat and just store and just store it out the boat. Um, coincidentally enough, uh, Klansnick's brother-in-law actually, uh, worked, uh, worked on tugboats, um, uh, in the, in that area, in that area. He's a, he's a tugboat guy in that area. Uh, his his daughters. Oh, you've even got a tugboat connection. I do got a tugboat connection. And when I heard that, when I heard that, I thought right to Tom Case thing about when you were saying about the tugboats. Uh, when I learned that Klansnick's uh, son-in-law actually was a, was a tugboat mechanic and worked on the tugboat stuff uh, in the area at, the, uh, at around that 1980 time. So he could have thrown, he could have thrown off the tugboat, knowing how to you know, the NLT bar. But, but yeah, uh, as, as far as the money find on T bar, uh, what I, what I believe is the money ended up in the water a year and a half to two years uh, before 1980. Um, you can spec you can speculate all day on the different ways, but it's, it was something weird. Is is something weird or it was planted? Was Klansnick ever was Klansnick ever a suspect? Klansnick was never a suspect. He was never. Never, never mentioned. Never on, never on the radar. Um, when, when Derek called the FBI, right, right when first couple of declines, and Derek just, just going crazy guys. But he called up the FBI. Uh, he called uh, Andrew Jones, uh, Williams. Actually, answered. She, she's connected to the Cooper case. If you look her up. Uh, She's she's up there on the FBI. Uh, Derek told her everything we had on her. Uh, Derek told her everything we had on Klansnick, and her response was, "My goodness, how did we miss this guy?" That's that's what that's what Derek said. She said, "I, I believe it." <laughs> if 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 I was her and Derek called me up with all that information, I would have said, "Holy smoly," as Bruce likes to say. <laughs> why why didn't we look at this guy you know why didn't we because the fbi was looking in the wrong the fbi was looking in the wrong places you know they they, they were they they were just so out of their this this crime was so ahead of its time and they were just out of their depths they, they were just looking they were just looking any, any they were they were looking anywhere 
people would call in. They would have crazy reports. Uh, I've heard a couple reports. One, uh, one uh, Ulysses likes to talk about about the uh, someone was watching uh, someone was watching Dragnet or one of those uh, one of those one of those old co- one of those old old school shows, and they they uh, they called in the FBI. They were like, "Yeah, the the guy on uh, the guy on Dragnet uh, looks like DBQ. <laughs> or the guy on Perry Mason, I forgot what show it was, looks like DBQ. And every stupid little thing, the FBI would would go looking at it. Um, and they were just they had so much information they couldn't they couldn't get or they couldn't get organized because Portland had some stuff, Seattle had some stuff, and they they just couldn't get they couldn't get organized. And they didn't. Um, they had a big enough job looking for ex Boeing employees um, because there were so many of them to even get to uh, empl- actual employees of Boeing. Right? They're they're so busy. They're so busy. Uh, they're so busy looking at every lead from every Tom, Dick, and Harry. And how the, how are they how are they supposed to get through all all the ex Boeing employees? And they weren't even. Still, employees you're buying wasn't 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 even on their radar. wasn't wasn't even on their radar because they thought they thought Cooper was they thought Cooper because of the grudge thing they probably thought that Cooper was was laid off, you know. But the grudge wasn't because Cooper got laid off. The grudge was because the U.S. government screwed over the Arrow and then they screwed over the SST. That's that was the grudge. It wasn't because he got laid off from Boeing. That's what I believe in. Have you guys heard from the FBI since then? We haven't heard from the FBI. Obviously, they closed the case in 2016. Um, they sure as hell don't want a guy like come around or a guy like me popping up solving the case with no credentials, pretty much, right? Just, just my, just my, uh, my, 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 my Wi-Fi, my, my inter- my computer, my couch, man. That's it. That's it. But there, you know, there's, there's a lot. I, I don't give myself all the credit because the drop zone, all the work that was done by all the sleuths, all the information, I pretty much was able to come in after everything, you know, after all these years, and then look at everything. And they kind of put all the pieces of the puzzle together. There's a lot of pieces, man. Scattered all over the place. All over the place. I had to go around here and here and here and here. But I was finding the puzzle pieces. Putting them together. Do you think the case will ever be closed? The case will be closed, Darren? Because I'm going to close it, buddy. I am going to close this thing. Okay? We have We have the technology... There's a thing out there called the MVAC. This this MVAC can pull DNA off of different off of different off of different stuff way better than anything back back in the day was able to do. Um, even going back to I don't know when they pulled those three partials uh, off the DB Cooper tie maybe 10 15 years ago, but since then. D, uh, D- DNA technology has advanced tremendously, and with this with this MVAC, um, there's 
there's no doubt in my mind we can pull full we can pull full profiles off this tie. No problemo. So when we got full profiles, then hey, we're we can do the same thing they did with Blue State Killer. I can Yeah, ancestral DNA. Ancestral DNA, being no Darren. Right. So we got a full we got a full pro we got a full pro DNA profile. We pull we pull all three. Um I'm sure I'm sure one of those once we do the genealogy, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to to CC the DNA detective, uh, who saw who was instrumental in solving Golden State Killer. She can do the, she can do the same thing here, and um, I believe once we once we do the once we do the ancestral once we do the ancestral genealogy, uh, one of those DNA samples is gonna lead back to Klansnik because Klansnik has so many has so much family out there. Someone had to put their put their uh, their stuff in the database, and that MVAC test is in the process of happening, isn't it? Um, I'm, right now I'm, I teamed up with an with an attorney uh, with, a law, uh, with a law firm in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I first I first got with them when I was looking into the um, looking into that article, the uh, the Boeing seven twenty seven more and better, I'm in part one. That's where Klansnick goes and he's great all the great detail on the 727, the hydraulics, everything, the whole kit and caboodle. And the um, the magazine Hydraulics and Pneumatics is actually based out of Cleveland, Ohio. And I reached out to an attorney out there, and he so happens to have also done extensive research on the DB Cooper case, believe it or not. <laughs> no way. <laughs> it, yeah, no way, Jose. Right? It j- just happens to be, and he was like, "Yes." He was like, "He thought it was." He was a big. He's a big proponent of uh, Richard Floyd McCoy, and he was like, "So I had him." So uh, he's actually aiding me my, uh, in my investigation. Uh, we've teamed up, and we're going to definitely reach out to uh, to CC, and we're going to try to get her on board um, because. That that will put it. I mean, I got the smoking gun, but now I want to drop the hammer, Darren. I want to drop the hammer, but uh, I want I want to drop the hammer on him, and and that leave no no room for doubt here, because if you leave any room for doubt, you know everybody else in Cooperland they will doubt. <laughs> yeah. I, you know. So since I've begun now my my, uh, my research, uh. Like I said, I've yeah, I started off with Darren, but the, the guy you just you just can't you just can't work with him. He's wanted to stop doing research, so I teamed up with the Slyby Law Firm out of Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and there's some guys who helped me to get my research at this point. Um, and like I mentioned, they also did done extensive research on Norjack. Uh, and yeah, man, that's that's kind of where we stand right there. Uh, I got my book, uh, which is gonna begin writing probably this week um and uh i kind of have some some i heard a rumor that you have a special editor for the book i do have a special editor for the book Darren. uh it's gonna take a lot of people by surprise probably uh <laughs> i know it took you by surprise he's got he's got a little bit of a bad reputation in the cooper world but giving him a chance to redeem himself. And that's Robert M. Blevins. 
and I like to I like to welcome him on the team. And he's going to be serving as an editor. Uh, as you know, he owns Adventure Books in Seattle. Uh, he's published many books, and uh, he's going to be editing, formatting the book for Kindle, and hopefully, if everything goes well, we'll get it out in paperback a little bit after that. It's, if sales are good, which 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 I'm sure they will be, because James Classic, best suspect you can get. It doesn't get any. There's kind of a checklist I've kind of I've kind of established when it comes to Cooper. And James Plesnick, he's check, 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 check. But before, your if your suspect can't check every box, then he's not DB Cooper. And my suspect can check every box. What do you think the Vortex's reaction has been to your suspect when you guys came on the scene? Hey, it's James Klansnick. We found it. Well, this is exactly what everyone's been clamming for, Darren. They're, like, it's D.B. Cooper's a guy we've never heard of yet. You know, it's the title of this podcast. It's the guy we've never heard of yet. And we give him the guy you've never heard of, and everything and everything lines up and down, and you still want to say, well, hey, well, what what was it? What was his what was his motive? He was he was a, he was a Family Guy as a church goer. Why would we do this? Well, where, where was he on on set? Where was he on seventy one? Well, because people who go to church never commit crimes. Exactly, exactly. And it, when you look at everything, this wasn't a criminal. That's that's where the that's where everyone's got it wrong. This wasn't a criminal, and it it what it was it was more. It was more it was more sophisticated. It was more sophisticated than that. This wasn't your average Joe criminal. This guy was on a whole nother level. On a whole nother level. And when you look at when you look at all that when you look at all the evidence, it, it, it points to he just went back to his regular everyday job and just just went back. Hidden hid in plain sight. No no one no one was the wiser. He just went back to his. He just went back to his regular life. I mean, there was. If if DB if DB Cooper died, if DB Cooper took off took off, or he, he would have been caught, or there would have been a missing person. There there, there would have been something. Yeah, and the FBI really looked into that. You know, who didn't show up for work on Monday? Who's been missing around the same time? And they didn't find anyone that they thought could be Cooper. They were look. They were looking at all the wrong things. Especially since they kept telling everyone that he died in the jump. Exactly. Then they needed that was once they said that, then they needed to they needed to back up that narrative because if, once they said he died in the jump, they can't backtrack and say, "Oh no, sorry, the FBI didn't do that." Oh no, we were wrong. No, he didn't. You know, that's it. You know that that was already that was already the narrative they were going to roll with, it, and that's it. Do you think they say he died in the jump because they don't want to admit? That they couldn't solve it. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's why they—that's why they spun that narrative, and that's why they wanted the scene to go to bed and get forgotten about. But there's a thing here called the Cooper Vortex. There's guys like me and you, who freaking thirty years old, wasn't even even born when this happened. I wasn't even born when the money was found. Exactly. But like I, like I said, I've, I've developed kind of a, kind of a checklist here. Just kind of want to go over it. Um, 
if you're if you're a DB these are the kind of these are the things you gotta these are the boxes you gotta check, right? You gotta have the knowledge of the seven twenty seven. Klansnick's got it. Klansnick's got it. You gotta prove the guy wore black clip on ties because that was left on the plane, right? Yep, I've seen Klansnick in a black clip on tie. Check that one off there. There we go. Check her off. Now, what was found on the tie? Can you those rare earth elements, those rare particles that only lead back to a select, select pool of individuals? Who's swimming in there? Klansnick is. He's swimming in there, right? We got, we got the, we got the welding fumes, which we talked about in part one. That all, that all lines up. But let's say, let's say I was wrong about the welding fumes, and Tom K was right about his CRT. Well, guess what? Klansnick worked on CRT modules for the SST, <laughs> and he. He worked on them for the following. So, like I said before, they on well, the following stuff like that. They didn't scrap the technology for from the SST. So they put all the model. Uh, they put all of those uh, all of those CRT displays on their next plane. And it first came out with NASA. It was I forgot what the next plane was up from the um, um, that just came, uh, from the seven twenty seven. But that just came, that came out recent uh, uh, a little bit a little bit right after. And with the with the it was first with NASA, it was like a, a NASA plane first, and then they Boeing was put in commercial. But it had all of the uh, all the CRT displays, and Classic worked on the CRT displays. So if 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 uh, if K's right about his CRT, well hell, Klansnick worked on the CRT displays as well. See, so you can't you can't you can't ship them anyway. Trying, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm really trying to get here. Uh, next, next thing on the checklist here. I, we talked about this in part one. You got to resemble the sketches, right? You got to resemble. You, you got to have the. To me, the olive skin. You got to have the olive skin. Okay. You got or olive skin tanned. You, you gotta, you gotta have that because that's something the FBI showed they really believed in. They were looking at uh, Latin skydivers clubs. A few people described Cooper as even Mexican Latino. That that's how I kind of got um how I kind of got Hanneman up when I was doing my uh, March Madness packing all the suspects. That's what that's what got Hanneman up, up there up in the finals with Clancy because he had that olive uh, complexion similar to George Clooney, which is what you're looking for. I'm looking to have a complexion similar to George Clooney, also. <laughs> right, if we can all be tan on that. We're white as hell, but <laughs> what can we do? But Going more back to the physicals, the age matches up. The weight, 175. Cooper was slim. Classic was slim. That, 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 all che- that all checks off. And then here's another good one. The unusual slant on the forehead, on the hairline forehead. There's an unusual slant there. It's featured It's featured on one of the sketches. Um, I got a side-by-side where I circle the... the I circled the uh, the 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 unusual slant in the in the forehead, top of the forehead area, a little bit to, a little bit to the right. There's an unusual slant there. I've seen that picture, and it's it is pretty remarkable. It's right. So they have that same unusual slant, and then I haven't talked about this yet. The turkey gobble there. 
the turkey gobs. So Bill Mitchell, who was really paying close attention to Cooper because they were getting all the attention from from the pretty young stewardesses. It was like, why why do they pay attention to this old geese here, you know? Hotshot college kid. And so he was really checking him out to say, what has this guy got going on? One of the one of the things he mentioned besides like he had mismatched socks or something like that, but the, the biggest thing was the turkey gobble, which is under which is which is under uh, which is on your throat area, that excess kind of excess kind of skin there. Just classic has a gobble. Um, on his older pictures for sure. Yeah, and he was fifty one at the time, so. And he's fifty five, fifty one. Uh, his older pictures, you see the the gobble is super is super prominent. You definitely see the you see definitely see the turkey gobble the excess skin there. Um, I actually looked up one of Klansnick's uh, relatives, Blondina Klansnick, right? If you look if you uh, if you Google her up and look at her uh, ancestry, Blondina has the biggest turkey gobble you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> no no joke, Darren, no joke. So you know the turkey gobble runs in the in, in the Klansnick family. If you look at his, a couple of his sons, they also got that gobble. So gobble gobble on Turkey Day. That's <laughs> that. That's that. I mean, everywhere you look, everywhere you look, you find something. There. Everywhere you look, you find something. That's 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 why I believe we got the real home field here. Um, a couple other things I mentioned. A couple hints he had in the obituary. You know, he referenced the one and only parachute ride, and you know, the, uh, finding the finding. Uh, uh, joking about finding his wallet in the uh, in the cabin when he went back to 1980, and we actually night up 1945 uh, for 35 years. You, you get 1980 there, uh, and we wondered, you know, where he on his uh, his wallet. And then, the, so the mount, the mountaineer background, right? You got you got the sack there, the knapsack term points points to mountaineer. W W two. There's a lot of evidence there that points to WW2. Put the shoot out in the problem. A lot of people thought it was WW2 pilot shoots. Uh, the the Benny the Benzedrines also hint back to WW2. The term interphone also hints back to WW2, which interphone was a term was was used on those on those fighter planes that were using WW2, and that's what they called them then. Uh, back in the 70s, things were a little more advanced then, they were calling things intercom. And then we look at the Dan Cooper comic, we kind of left off one in part one, shot down fighter pilot, just just like just like the comic, odd coincidence here. I mean, the way, you've, you even mentioned this, the way how, how cool Cooper was, how cool he was, you know, Bruce, Bruce really believes he's a, he was a commando, um, a, a guy like that, and I'm right on along, along the lines of thinking that yeah, he was definitely battle hardened, and hey man, how 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 better of battle uh, battle hardened can you get than serving 13 months in Stalag Luft One? 13 months prisoner of war in Stalag Luft One, right? That get you pretty pretty hardened. Yeah, it should make you pretty uh pretty battle hardened for sure. 100 percent, and one other thing I wanted to mention, the town of Cottage Grove, Oregon. Clancy's brother mentioned he owned 
the land around the area where he was believed to have jumped um, the company he worked for, Warehouser. But he also lived in a town of Cottageville, Oregon, which a week before the skyjacking, there was a report to the Eugene Tower of a low-flying plane dropping players to the ground. Where would you guess it, dude? In Cottage Grove. Cottage Grove. Bingo. Now, it was. It's actually in. That's actually documented in a book. Uh, I think it's something Flights and Flyers. Just Google uh, Amazing Flights and Flyers. I believe it'll come up for you. And that's actually documented in the book by the guy working at the tower. Um, it's his own testimonial. And in there, he says he said this is his own. This is his own commentary on it. He's like, he's like I, he's like I believe that had some that incident a week before was had something to do with the DB Cooper case. He believed it was connected, and he made the reference to it because it wasn't a DB Cooper book. It was like unique flights and flyers or something like that, just about weird aviation stuff. So it wasn't a DB Cooper book. And in that book, he made a point to say he thought it was connected. And then another thing that points strongly uh, towards that hold, held a lot of weight was the FBI. They interviewed um, – well, they showed pictures to Bill Mitchell. They were showing him pictures for weeks after the skyjacking. They're, they were just showing him, they were showing him a, lot, a lot of pictures. And all the – Bill Mitchell um, Bill Mitchell said this. He said all the – he said all the pictures they were showing me for the for, for the first like month were all people from um from the from the Eugene Oregon area. College Grove is in Eugene, Oregon. Um so so FBI believed there for a certain point that DB Cooper might have been from the Eugene area. I believe it was from that report. And that's why they were showing Bill Mitchell so many pictures of people from Eugene, which I found really which I found really interesting. Hmm. Another tell there. So is that real? Is that really? Is that really a coincidence? I don't know. You tell me. It's coincidence after coincidence after coincidence. Why would he think that it had something to do with the hijacking? Yeah, because because it's like a gut feeling. He also had those other reports in the in the Santa area a couple of weeks before as well. So they probably thought they were doing a trial run the week before. That's that's my that's my belief anyway. So when can we look forward to your book, Nikki? The book's slated for August. Um, oh, that soon. Yep, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get going on this thing. I'm trying to get it out by August, um, hopefully September at the latest. Uh, but by the end of this year, um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have this thing out. And like I said, try try him in the fire. If he, if he's not Cooper, he's gonna get consumed by the flames. But if uh, if he is Cooper. He's not even smelling like smoke. You could you could throw James Clancy right in that fire, baby. He wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't smell a whiff. I am jealous too that uh, Blevins is going to be editing your book. If I ever write a book, I'm going to ask him to do the same for me. Hey, Blevins is he's a controversial guy in the in the Cooper world, but he does get books out there. He's he does he does have talents. He does have name in the Cooper world. And he's the perfect guy to edit my book, man. I think uh, I think everything happens for a reason. I wish I reached out to James. I mean, I reached out to um, Robert. Just 
just yesterday, I think, or the day before. And yeah, we had a we had a good conversation. Bringing on, I'm bringing on board as uh, as editor for this. And yeah, hopefully, um, like I said, I got the I got the Slabby Law Firm, passing with them, and hopefully we can get CC on board, and we can we can finally put put this thing to rest. Um, but I believe with with all the evidence I already have, it's 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 it's, it's pretty uh it's pretty conclusive, Darren. Uh, what do you think? It sounds good to me. I mean, I really look forward to reading your book. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. Um, couple, couple things, a couple other things I wanted to touch on just here, just looking at my notes. Um, the mother of pearl tie clasp, okay, that was found on the on the tie left on the plane by D.B. Cooper. Right. Another tell, mother of pearl. Now, Klansik was a member of the Knights of Columbus. Many years, had a top-ranking role there for a little bit. And if you, I looked at the Knights of Columbus jewelry. And if you, if you just type in Knights of Columbus, Mother of Pearl, you'll see a bunch of pieces that use Mother of Pearl there. And then, going back to what we talked about in part one, why would a tie picked up on, picked up at a thrift store? Have a mother of pearl tie clasp on, and if it didn't, why would D. Cooper just randomly want to put it on? Kind of, kind of odd, right? Like usually, if something comes into the goodwill or to the thrift store, I don't know. You think they would leave, think they would leave it on? Or you think they'd take it off and sell that separately? Wouldn't you? Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Nobody thought about that. So everyone say, well, he picked it up at a he picked it up at a thrift store. How do you explain that mother of pearl? That mother pulled tie clip on it. That would have been that would have been on it in the thrift store. I don't think so. That that doesn't make sense to me. Why would Cooper have a mother of pearl tie clasp on his uh, on his uh, on his tie? Got to back to background. Let's look at back at the background. Let's look background. Checks out again. He's he's a member of the Knights Columbus. It's that's that's a I, uh, that's a prominent i guess piece of jewelry they're using in, in uh, it's a catholic group they use a lot of mother pearl in catholic jewelry and knights of columbus use a lot of mother pearl so definitely something classic would have would have would have owned that's that'd be pretty pretty safe to assume wouldn't you say there darren sounds good makes sense the fact that all those particles point back to boeing not a coincidence it, it, it's not a coincidence those particles tie back to Boeing. They, they tie back to everything. Everything tells a story. When you look at the finer little nuances, everything tell everything tells a story. The tie the tie wasn't the tie wasn't bothered uh, was borrowed. It wasn't it wasn't picked up because it lines up with the rest of the story. So to say that you'd be kind of going be going inside. It, it's easy. It makes it's, it makes more sense. That the that the tie was that the tie was his because it ties into the word tie ties into everything else, you know, you know. And when I was doing my brackets, I was just scrolling down different suspects. It's like it's so easy just to spot a discrepancy, something that doesn't go against. And I've been here for two years, two years on Klansik, and I still can't find anything that's not just that's not just speculative, but not just speculative, you know, like, like Eric Hewis was sharing Peterson, like Eric, like Eric trying to say, like, 
you got guys like trying to conjure up stuff, like trying to conjure up stuff um, without even doing all of the homework on it. And I'm doing my homework on everything, and I don't have to conjure up anything. Everything is backed up because I've done. I'm not just putting putting it out there without actually, without actually getting the facts behind it. Like Eric originally claimed the tie tack and the and the tie came together in a set, which was false. It didn't. It didn't come. It didn't come in a set. The 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 tie the tie uh, the tie uh, Pearl tie clip. Uh, came in came in a set with a couple other with a couple other pieces, but it did not come with it. It did not come in the set with the tie. That's that's one thing right there where where he kind of where he kind of where he kind of made that up. And then he claims Sheridan, and then he and then he claims well because Sheridan um, Sheridan was working around that time, he, he could have easily gotten those particles right because he had he had clearance, and these three was oh yeah. I, he went in there. He went in there in some bin, and maybe his tie went. His tie went down. Tie went down in there and picked up some of the particles. I'm like that. That I'm like that is a stretch. First of all, none of those part. Uh, uh, Sheridan Peterson uh, left Boeing in '65, I believe. I believe he, uh, he left Boeing in '65, and none of that kind of stuff. None of kind of those kind of particles were at, but were at Boeing until. 67, 68, when they started the SST work. That's when all those all those rare earth elements, all that kind of work was going on. Not till 67, 68. I got a document. I got the document to show it. So you got you got uh, you got P out of there in six you got P out of there in 65. So how is he, how is he picking up those particles? Stuff wasn't even there at Boeing in 65. Right, he just wanted to assume he didn't do he didn't do any of the homework there. It's like a everyone see oh, a couple things up here. Let's just let's just kind of fill in fill in the blanks. Well, no, I look at it. if something's up, then I'm and I'm doing my homework to make sure doing my homework to make sure check all the facts, check all the boxes. And so, you know, I love to check these boxes off as you know, Darren. You should publish that bracket that you made. You know, make a real nice version of it and put it out there. I because I'd like to see it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I think that'll be that'll be fun. I was actually thinking about uh, about uh, m- making it making it up uh, on a little PDF or something, and sending it out in the Cooper thing. I think that would be kind of cool in the spirit of March Madness and everything. Hell yeah, I think people would like that. I certainly would. Right, right, and I'll I'll get all the. I just I just did a kind of uh, I kind of just did a chicken scratch like on a little piece of notepad, just made my own little bracket. But I can make it up on the computer nice and i'll put it out i'll put it out there for everyone and everyone can can chime in and kind of debate on that i'm sure i'm sure the vortex would would have some fun yeah because you could put in 16 suspects real easy or if you want to get crazy you could do 32 i'd probably just do that don't even want don't even want to go 32 that that'd be really having to pull uh, grass about some straws but yeah i'd come up with <laughs> definitely 16, 16 players for sure i think when i did it i I think I had like 12, 13, something like that. I think I had 12. Um, but yeah, I can bump, I keep up it up to 16 and, and make it kind of cool and, and put it up there. Well, you have anything else for us, Nikki? Just, um, just keep a lookout for the book. Um, I know there's, uh, three, uh, uh, three different projects right now, uh, uh on, on Cooper as, as far as, uh, what, what I've heard. Um, if any of you guys want to reach out, 
I've, I believe I made my, my, my case pretty strong here. Um, if you guys want to feature the strongest DB Cooper suspect in the history of this case, I'd be more than, I'd be more than happy to represent him. You can reach me at nbnickyb at gmail.com. And yeah, keep keep looking on Brooklyn uh, late before the end of the year. And yeah, Darren, think, thanks thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me tell my story. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's it's been it's been no, it's 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 my it's my pleasure. Like like I said, man, I I believe I believe I believe James Classic was the U Cooper. He wanted and he wanted to be found. He left subtle clues out there for someone to find, and I found him. And here he is. You do. You honestly really do make a great case for Clans, Nick. Thanks, thanks, buddy. I, I really appreciate it. And it's, I'm not trying to fit, fit uh, a square peg into a round hole here. It just fits right through perfectly. If that's that's why I believe he was DB Cooper, man. There's just there's just too much here, buddy. There's just too much here. And I'm gonna and I'm not done. Like I said. Um, I got the backing of, of the Slabby Law Firm out of Cleveland, Ohio, and we're still continuing our investigation. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. And I'm going. I'm going to. I got a pretty good smoking gun here, uh, but I'm going to. I'm going to clamp this down with with the D, DNA with the DNA technology we have now. I should be able to put this to rest. Well, I hope to see that bracket by the time this podcast comes out. And then uh, I hope to be reading your book about how you solve the case here in a few months. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nikki. That's a wrap with Nikki B. and James Klansnick for now. Be sure to keep an eye out for Nikki's book later this year and check the forums for his D.B. Cooper March Madness style suspect bracket. If you have any questions, comments, or more information on the case, you can reach us on Facebook at the Cooper Vortex or email us at dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Thank you to Nikki B for doing this twice. Thank you to Russell Colbert because he's awesome. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to the Cooper Vortex.